of course I hate these people. And let's all hate these people, because maybe hate is what we need if we're going to get something done. I need that whole group. I have some of them and descriptions of others, but I need all of them. Every young black male who was in the park last night is a suspect in the rape of that woman. I want units out strong. Let's get an army of blue up in Harlem. You go into those projects and you stop every little thug you see. When They See Us is a powerful, is a powerful message about how America actually sees us. It's the story of the so-called Central Five. And I say so-called because the Central Five is the name that was given by the media as a way to dehumanize these boys, to put them in a group together as like a group of animals or a group of thugs. That's not who they are. They're boys and they have names. Corey Wise, Antron McQuay, Yusuf Salam, Kevin Richardson, and Raymond Santana. They were boys at the time, but they were treated as if, as if they were grown men. They were treated as animals. They were assumed guilty even when there was evidence showing that it wasn't them. It likely wasn't them, it didn't matter. A narrative was set and it was put out there and, it was, and they stayed the course. No matter what it cost these boys, no matter what trauma it cost to the families, they were willing to stick with that. And it's the first time we've been able to see from the, from the, from the point of view of the victims what happens uh, to those who've been incarcerated, to those who've been wrongly accused. And it was really, really powerful and it was painful. And that's what we're gonna talk about today on Disruption Now. But for now, I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. I'm James Keyes. I'm Tunde Romana. And I'm Misha Cross. So I, I got to tell you, you guys, when I, when I watched this, it was very hard to watch. Uh, I had to stop multiple times. It was painful, and I can think it, it really brought back a lot of trauma that I didn't even know some of which I had. Uh, it actually made me think about my first experience with the police. And I think about, by the grace of God, how that could have gone differently. And I talked to my mother about the encounter and learned things from the first time that I didn't even know happened at that event and at that encounter with police. I was with another friend, a white friend. I live, I live uh, mostly in a white area. And there was a owner of a store who didn't like me. I came into the store. He said, get out. I, I said some smart comment to him. Didn't cuss at him anything, but I was my smart, articulate self. So I'm sure I said something that pissed him off. And he took that. And he called the police, of course. Uh, I was in middle school at the time, about 12 years old. And he tells the police that I threatened his life and did something to try to harm him. Made, made the whole thing completely up. I'm across the store, and a police officer pulls up, uh, comes in the store, says, you know what you did? And I'm like, I don't know what I did. And he, then he tells me to get in the car. And my friend runs home to get my mother. And uh, my mom comes up. And she told me this is what happened. I didn't even, I don't remember any of this and I must've just blocked it out. She told the police officer, well, why isn't the white boy in the car? If they both did something, why isn't he in the car? And then he couldn't answer that question. He said, well, you're not, she said, you're not taking my son away. It's not gonna end well for one of us right now. Either he comes out that car, it's not gonna end well. And I got out the car, uh, but my mother uh, was, was strong. She knew her rights and she knew how to fight and articulate for her rights. And that was a different story with some of these boys. And um, I just think of how that could have turned out differently if I was from a different if I was from a different class, if I didn't have as much resources, if I didn't have parents that knew how to do that or or who were as comfortable fighting for that. It was just painful to see. And I think about raising a young black man uh, and, and that he's going to have to go through the same trauma that I went through. And I, and I worry about his life and his circumstances. Uh, I always had and I knew these things, but it's a different thing to see it play out and see the level of injustice 
that played out in this. And it really just brought up a lot for me. Those are my initial reactions, but I want to hear yours. We can start from James and Misha and then work down to Tunde. Well, my initial reaction uh, was really the powerlessness of them as everything was happening to them. Um, and the disregard for the law and the rules showed by the police and, and the prosecutor's office as their investigation unfolded. And as things evolved, they were changing the story to make things happen. They knew they shouldn't be interrogating these guys the way that they were, but they just did it anyway. And so on one hand, you have people who were used to being kicked around by the police. And on the other hand, you had the police kicking them around and knowing that they were or behaving in a way that was essentially was not the way that we purport to say that we do business in this country. Correct. And the reason we have rules and laws and, and everything like that in terms of how the powerful should treat the non-powerful is to prevent things like this. And apparently this just doesn't apply, not just based on the Central Park Five, but as we see in day-to-day -day life, this yep. doesn't apply to, to all people. And the, the, you know, equal protection under the law is not something we've achieved yet. And now I understand that police have a very hard job, full stop. You know, like that's not something that is up for debate, really. It's a difficult job. You're, you're dealing with uh, criminal element all the time. But everyone you come in contact with is not a criminal. Yeah. So, and, every, and every black young black man is not a thug, not an animal, and not but, a criminal. You know, I, I can understand how it's difficult to turn that on and off. But anytime you're given a huge amount of responsibility like that, you have to, with great responsibility, uh, or excuse me, with great powers, every time you're given a great amount of power like that, with great power comes great responsibility. And police have an, ex an exorbitant amount of power over the lives of everyday citizens. Yep. And so there has to be more responsibility that they have to take for their actions to live in according to, again, the laws that we have. We can't, if the police are unlawful, what do we do? I want to get more into the laws, and we're going to talk about a section where we get into the laws, the prosecutors, the police. But the general reaction I want to hear from folks about you said the powerlessness. Uh, Amisha, what was your what was your takeaway? I think there was a very strong level of powerlessness. Again, these were children, but you also had police and you had a prosecutor who were out to find suspects. They weren't out to actually, you know, solve a crime as much as they were to get someone as quick as possible because they ran the media more than anything else. I think that them choosing young people or having young people there who came from low income backgrounds for the most part, not all of them did, but um, choosing young people who did and knowing that these young people uh, did, didn't know their rights. Like a lot of, like a lot of young people don't actually, a lot of grown people don't um, yep. and keeping them in a certain space. I think that it has to be said that these children were kept for hours over a day without in many cases being able to go to the bathroom, without being able to get food, without being able to call their parents, without any level of representation whatsoever. And to be talked to and asked questions over and over and over again, badgering young people, that's something that sadly, you know, this movie revealed and I think is very powerful, but it's also something I want people to understand happens every day in this country, despite the fact that we have laws against Yep. And it's interesting when people talk about, well, why would they have a false confession? Why would they do that? Imagine what you do at 14 when you are lied to, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but you're told you can go home if you just tell us this, what we want to hear and you are we have a system that allows prosecutors, allows police to do what you just said and also lie to these kids or lie to people about it. And I, and I think it raises a lot of questions that we'll get to in a minute. Tunde, mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your reaction, what you think when you saw the, when you saw the film. I think, um, I mean, from what I saw, it, it clearly is bigger than just the police or the prosecutors or any of it. It's the whole system. I mean, it's... Um, 
I even remember one of those early scenes when the 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 cop was um, it was a black cop that came to uh, the two other cops to say, "Hey, I think the kid's only fourteen or he's sixteen, something." And the the one cop looks at him and says, "I think it's snowing outside." And the cop looks at him with this funny face, kind of like, "What do you mean?" And he goes, and he looks at the other cop and he goes, "I think Christmas is here." And right. so it just shows you, and and the, and the, and black the importance the importance of that because he was sixteen and that he was no longer a minor, and they were allowed to just violate his rights all the way. That's why that was so important at that moment. Correct. And and what I feel like is that's part of the system because we know from whether it's experience or just through knowing people that are in the system of prosecutors and police that they are looked on favorably the more cases that they close, which is getting a conviction. So when when you see that, then there's an incentive to make sure the numbers get higher. And I think like any industry, even though these are government agencies in a sense, they're still right. industries. And like any industries that's me- measured by numbers, people, unfortunately, will cut corners to make the numbers yeah, look better. And, and, and that's a really good point because they see they see it as numbers. And you talked about this when you saw some of the show. They and I want to move to this point. They dehumanize them. So they saw Correct. them as they saw it as okay. We have a we have we have, we have criminal we have suspects we need to identify. Uh, we know what the suspects generally look like. They're black or Hispanic. So we're going to pick some black or Hispanic men. They were in the park at the time. Things were going on, and because other things are going on, that means they raped this woman. That's pretty much the conclusion that. Well, and, the and here's one made. of the things that stuck out to me too when the prosecutor, the you know, played by Felicity Hussman, um, her character said something to the effect of, "We needed to get you know, kind of do this now. The media is all over us." Da, da, da. And it just kind of told me also the whole system, even the media. I mean, it also sets the tone of the place because I think. Correct. That's my point. Yeah, it's important to know this in context. In 1989, there were several strong abuses that happened in that park. So you think that there was a lot of pressure on the prosecutor not to, you know, excuse the behavior at all. There was a lot of due pressure from people who lived in New York at the time to say, hey, we need to halt this because people were literally getting beat, badgered and dying in that park regularly. And the and the prosecution, the police weren't really able to do anything or really catch some of the people who were committing those crimes. Yeah. So they they became a symbol. Yeah. Symbol for that. But I also if we fast forward to today, um, I I, much different um, set of topics and all that for sure. But I equated it away the, the same way that our country is responding to the migrants at the border. We've seen that in the last couple of years, there's been this dehumanization through kind of the media and our culture that that these aren't even people. So that when things like children get lost, you know, I hear that there's 4,000 kids. They just, the government says, ah, we're not going to be able to find them for two years. I'm pretty sure if that was any other case of 4,000 children just missing this most people in this country be going absolutely nuts due to our action do not, yes. not missing just somewhere in the world, exactly. but like we did it. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, well, like, yeah, they're missing here because of us. So my point is, is I look at the equation of, to your point of they dehumanize young black men in the eighties. And what happens is you get a result like that, where you can take five teenage kids and, and do this to them. And the country just stands by and watches. And that's yeah. kind of where I, I'm and I want to focus a little, a little bit on the dehumanization part. I want to, I want to do a little deep dive into that. Cause I, I really think that was one of the, f- that was one of the main uh, things I think that this film wanted to highlight 
it's not just one person that's affected by this. There's a whole fam. There are families that are connect- that are that are affected by this, and so you 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 think about what it did to these families. Uh, it, it tore apart families that were close. It tore apart fathers from their sons. Uh, when the when the police were trying to coerce, uh, I don't remember which young man it was, but I remember the story. I remember that you know he was close. His father basically convinced him to go along with the police, and I don't that was think Antron. Antron, yeah, right, and. He didn't have any, his father was trying to help out his son. That's what, but he didn't know how to do that. And all he saw is that the police were trying to, were going to do something bad to him if they didn't get what they wanted. And I, I can understand why he had that belief, but that, that ended up tearing apart that relationship because of not, nothing because the father did or the father had bad intentions. It's just the fact that the system, the police and the prosecutors and this system tore them apart. And then you think about, uh, you know, Corey Wise, who I think was the most, that was so, his, his, his case was the hardest to even deal with. Corey Wise went down to support his friend. I think it was Yusuf he was supporting. He went down just to support him and they locked, and they used him as the central tie to the whole case and locked him up yeah. and put him, up, put him in an adult prison and he went through the horrible violations that, that many people go through. So I see it as their story, but I see it as, I see it as a story of what incarceration what mass incarceration has done to multiple families. This is not a story that's unique to them, unfortunately. The, the, it's a story that's about them, but it's not just about them. It's about the so dehumanization. There, there are several things that I appreciate in the way that Ava DuVernay uh, worked very hard to actually tell this story from their perspective. And one of them I think you touched on, Rob, was the actual breakup of the family. I think that when people think about incarceration, be it whether adults or youth, they don't think about the effect that it had on the family or their claims are that the families were already separated, they weren't that close. I think that in this film, she showcased how strong a lot of these young men were with their families. Um, In in one one young man's case, specifically when his father told him, or stepfather, because it's actually his stepdad, um, told him to admit um, or to give that, that false confession so he could get home, Part of it was because he believed what the police told him. Absolutely. The other part was because he had his job threatened. As a black man who had a history, a criminal history himself, who was lucky enough to get a job later on after fighting and having many doors slammed in his face, his thought was, how is he going to help take care of his family? How is he going to help to be able to fund and be able to get the help that his stepson needed um, to be able to come out? So I yep. think that there's something that has to be understood there in that context as well. These young boys were not treated like young boys at all. A lot of that was during, I think that we also have to remember that this was a time where the war on drugs was really, you know, ticking up, but we also had a, a media that was very much looking to demonize black men and black boys. Absolutely. In so it wasn't a huge leap of faith for anyone to believe that these boys, even though they were children, um, were capable of or had, you know, a notion that this could be something they would be able to do. That's the piece that really stood out to me. I, I think we put the cart before the horse when we say that it was the police or the press that did the dehumanization. They didn't do anything they didn't think they could get away with. You know, they they fed into society's belief that you're dealing with animals or that the, the, you can you can just say it enough times and people will go along that these people are animals. These people are thugs they, they, to the dehumanization is something that works because that's something you have to turn around and look at the mirror about. Like, why are we so willing to this is another piece that stood out to me. Why are one? Why are we so willing to believe the worst about African-American youth or just African-Americans in this country in general? So easy for us to believe it. And that's not just like that's not just white people, even fellow black people sometimes are are so willing to believe the worst. And then the other piece, which, I mean, this gets into the legal stuff and I know you don't want to go to, but 
how difficult is it for a black person to get reasonable doubt? You know, like this was like, there was all this stuff going on and the prosecutor at no point, the prosecutor, you know, they were, they knew they were okay. You know, like, yeah, there's no, like, they would have to be shown that they were in Europe at the time. And I still think they wouldn't yeah, have given they still them reasonable doubt. Yeah, the exactly. I'd be like, we know that, you know, some brothers in the hood do stupid stuff, but that then became a reason and for so the white, system so the society guys too, in our country to, to yeah, well, no, I agree. But what yeah. I'm saying is because whites are the majority group, they don't tend to dehumanize themselves. Correct. I said in the beginning, Ava kind of shows that because she shows the white kids who are in the park, you know, being kids, kicking folks over on bikes, throwing things, being like, you know, just, you know, I would say disturbing the peace, whatever they were doing, just kids stuff, <laughs> like bothering other people and being annoying. <laughs> Nobody called the police on them. They were doing kid things that every other kid was doing in the park. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. I want to, you know, you, you get to a point about being dehumanized, right? I mean, I, I, it was said often, right? She's okay. No, okay. Nobody said the N word, but I like to say animals and thugs are a replacement for the N word. Like they don't, they don't say that. They just say, go find those animals, go find those thugs. It's a way of dehumanizing folks in, in a new way. To me, I see a distinction without a difference. You can group, you can view whole groups of people. When they talked about go, go down to Harlem and get all the thugs you find on the street as if every single black man you run across in Harlem, that's standing outside, just go ask them because they're all thugs. That's that's not even, a, I'm not even extrapolating. That's what she said. And that was their view. And they found their narrative. They stuck to it. And I want to talk about the press. And I've, uh, I want to just have a little bit of a, of a really footnote about the president occupant of the White House and what he said there, because I think it's got to be talked about. He had this and we, we played the clip at the beginning. You know, he basically, not basically, he went out and said, you know, I hate these people. We hate who they are. And we need to bring back the death penalty for people like this. Uh, just comments on that in general about the fact that he, he, he was already showing direct signs of who he is right now and what that actually did to the situation and how the press ran with that. Anybody can go with that. Even being as strong and resonating as he was, again, he was a billionaire then. People paid attention to Donald Trump. No, he wasn't, you know, uh, an elected leader, but he was someone who mattered to a lot of people. So when he spoke, the media listened. He's been working the media for a long time. Um, for him to come out and say something like that in an era where folks were really trying to debate whether or not the death penalty was something they wanted to continue, and certain states were actually debating back and forth whether or not they were going to even have it the next year. For him to utilize this case and extreme brutality. And he, you know, he talked about it as if, you know, he knew this woman personally um, and to really accuse these young people, young people who hadn't even stood trial yet and to push for the death penalty. The I, I think the highest level of punishment you could possibly get in our system, um, which most children aren't even eligible for. I think that that is a problem in and of itself. But it was one that the media ate up. Yep. Um, the interview was on CNN, but they ran his uh, they ran everything in The New York Times. But media across the country picked up on it and no one called him out except the parents. I think that that was one of yep. the issues that was the most poignant. When people should have pulled back on him, even if they you know, wanted to get to the bottom of the heinous crime that happened to this woman, um, no one pushed back on somebody jumping to a conviction and a sentence. Um, yep. Before yep. That's because in the media, because the media had already done that themselves. You talked about this earlier. The media put that narrative out, didn't even say alleged half the time. They just said, these five, these five boys who participated in the crime, they, they just already convicted them. They already put it out there. And, they, and that narrative was set. And the media, it is powerful once you put that out there, James. Yeah, they, it was very strong in the, in the way that, and that actually stood out to me as well. Uh, the, 
the fact that everyone became such an expert on what happened. Um, now they, the, 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 the mini series took us through and showed us essentially behind the scenes. So we got to see a lot what was going on, but all of these people who did nothing but read something in the newspaper or saw something on television immediately became experts on what, what was going on and what this was all about. And that's nonsense, but you see that all the time. Now people become so certain about things that they know nothing about, and then they're willing to act on it and do something with this or do something with that. Or we have to, to, to do this because I am just so sure that these kids did this. And it's like, you don't even know anything about it. You know, like, you know, what they've allowed, what, what the press has said, yep. the press isn't out there. They're not vetting their stories like that. They're just trying to, at the time, they're just trying to sell new newspapers. They're just trying to sell commercials on television. And so that, and I think Tunde mentioned that a little earlier, how that incestuous relationship with the press where the press is just trying to, to, to get people to watch. And so they'll say outlandish things. And then the cops and the prosecutor then say, Hey, we got to feed the press, the press are, you know, they, they gotta, they want heads, you know, so we got to give them yes. heads. Yep. And it's like, well, hold on. You know, what about the individual rights of people that you're going to step on in order to, so that the newspapers can get their, their make their money and the prosecutors can look good in the paper. Yep. We're also a country that has a long history of going to the deep end when it comes to the defense of white women, white womanhood and white women's suffering especially in light of black males. Yeah, especially in light of black males. Whether they were there or whether they weren't, irrespective to evidence actually placing them someplace else, when it comes to black males, either adults or young boys, when a white woman is the one who is actually abused, injured, hurt, harmed, whatever, um, the automatic response is to go to the extreme when it comes to punishment. Yep, and and you had the best story for the press. You had fear in it, you had black men, you had a white woman who was severely violated. It was a horrible crime. And he put all that together and he said, we have something, we have a great story to run with. And they ran with it despite it not being true and, and, and not taking into account what that really meant for these five boys who never, ever had an opportunity to really have justice. Like we say we have in America, like, like we say we believe in, as, as James said, you know, we, 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 we purport to be a country that believes in equal rights. We, we purport to be a country that believes in having the fourth amendment that you're not supposed to be, that you're not supposed to just be pulled over searched without any, without any justified reason. But the truth of the matter is that's not how I worked in principle for these boys. It looked like another country. It looked like a country that, that doesn't believe in rights, a country that doesn't believe in process, a country that believes in convicting without any evidence. That's what this showed. And unfortunately, we know it's a story that, that's happened over and over and over and over and, and people over need again. to pay attention. This is this this is to their own detriment. Like, okay, yeah, the police jumped on these five guys and they made, you know, criminals out of them and said, yeah, you know, these, these are the guys that we're, we've solved this crime. Meanwhile, the mean, the main, the guy who did it is out there still doing stuff. Out here raping and hurting other women. Yeah, like, so like. In the same park. Everybody's patting themselves on their back in law enforcement. Like, yeah, yeah, we got these black kids. Yep. We violated them. We didn't allow them to have their parents present during the interrogation. We, we That's cruel and unusual in itself when they're having these guys in rooms for 24 hours plus trying to interrogate them. Either way, we're doing all this stuff. Yeah, we got him. It's Christmas. His, his mother went home voluntarily. Oh, it's Christmas. Yeah, all of that nonsense. And then the guy who did the rape is out there still raping. Yep. And so who, what, what are they doing? Exactly. That shows you, though, what the, the sad part is for certain people, I think. And, and this is not I'm not going to pick on law enforcement because I think every industry has its bad apples. 
Um, like I'm in the financial services industry and when I work for big companies, but I want to say this very quickly, but it doesn't mean everybody dies when they're not in the bad ones aren't held accountable with officers. The problem is people die. So it's, there are some, there are some fields that if you don't hold people accountable, the consequences are so great that are much die, much more dire to quote the the great philosopher, Chris rock. Once again, you know, you can't (laughs) airline pilots can't have bad days. You can't have bad apples and airline pilots. Same. I say the same thing with the cops. You know, you, you, that's a profession that it's not like, Oh, you had this bad apple. Oh, you know, you lost a hundred thousand dollars, but you know what? You, you still go home and you're still walking and you still got your family and all that. But like, no, you know, you, you lost your life. And there are bad apples at every end. There's bad apples everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And, and this is where I do agree with you, Tunde, that officers have a tough job and I think they should be paid more. I think they should have higher pay and higher accountability. That's my that's my opinion. What they do will drive normal people crazy in the sense that you always are dealing with a certain criminal element. And particularly if you don't live in that community, yep. then you're going to start associating where you are, where you go to work with criminal elements. It's just how the mind works. And so I think that is, that puts a lot of strain on people and they need ongoing support to back out of that or else they're going to fall into that mental framework. But I also, I put more responsibility and maybe because I'm an attorney, I put more responsibility on the, 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 the attorneys in the room, you know, the prosecutors and so forth. I mean, police are a hammer, you know, to, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so police, you know, are not equipped really to adjudicate guilt and innocence. You know, they're supposed to, yep. they, they, they go round up and, and go hit all the nails, you yep. know, and then it's the prosecutor that really has to exercise some discretion. But again, of course, when they feel like beyond reasonable doubt, isn't the standard they're going up against. Yeah. But that's the issue to me. Like the prosecutor becoming such an advocate of, Oh, we're going to make this happen. One of the, 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 the prosecutors saying, Oh, well, this is, it's not fair anymore. Cause this isn't, this is political, you know? And so right. the, the pressures in that sense, but that's where I that saw was the, that, that was the Assistant prosecutor. Yeah. Once, once, the, go, go ahead. once the media got a hold of it, they felt like they could not go back, even presented yep. with the evidence that looked a different way because the media had it the entire, I think that people have to recognize the entire country was watching and the country was watching and had already convicted these boys. Yep. And I think that it also is important to note in context that many black people, I think that um, Rob yep. mentioned this earlier, also thought they were guilty. This was not this is not 2019 where everybody's like Black Lives Matter. They knew that, you know, a lot of abuses have been happening in the community and it was very easy. And they also bought into that narrative about wilding, wilding or whatever, you know, they, yep. they that phrase then, which I have never taken. San- they, they, they showed Santana's stepmom, you know, was was calling him a rapist when he yep. was out, yeah. you know, yep. like that. It, it was that easy for them to interact with and take in exactly what the media was telling them. And I think that that's a very real thing that we have to think about when we think about how demonized these young men were, but also how hard it was for them to get a fair shake. I don't yes. think there would have been a jury in America at that time. It, that would have found them not guilty. Now, there may have been one that would have, you know, given them a lesser amount of time. But I don't think that considering the time frame, considering how many times, you know, newspapers ran this, how many TV shows ran yep. this, who the top voices were who spoke on it, elected officials from across the country. Um, you also yep. had Donald Trump clowning. I don't think that there were people out here who actually gave these boys the benefit of the doubt at all. Completely agree. Completely. And you actually, and there's one other point too that, Amisha, you and I talked about this offline. Although DNA evidence was introduced in this and it was shown that their DNA wasn't there, DNA being introduced into the into the scene was still new for people, just like DNA was new for the OJ trial. And that was, and, and you found the opposite there. His DNA was everywhere. Here, their, D, their DNA was nowhere. And still, people didn't understand the connection. And so it was all, some, 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 we have to put everything in context. 
That being said, it's still a horrible indictment on our criminal justice system. You, you can still look at what that did to families. And even think about families that are, that where you, where you find folks that have been guilty of doing something, at some point you, 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 you deserve to be reintroduced to society. You deserve to have a shot. You deserve not to be labeled. Because if you're not given that opportunity, what else are you going to do except go back to dealing drugs or go back to doing crime, which is exactly what we see we saw uh, Santana do, right? I mean, that when you limit opportunities for folks and you aren't uh, you don't allow them to work or you see them as a label, what do you expect to happen? I think that's what America. I think that's what America needed to see. That was one of the hardest parts for me once they showcased exactly, hey, dude wants to get an occupational license to cut hair. He can't do that. Dude wants he doesn't understand that he can't apply for certain jobs because now he is listed as a sex offender. Um, what it means even after you've served time and you've gotten out that you literally are very limited in where you can live, what you can do, how much you can earn. And I think that, you know, for Americans who don't understand the plight of those who have been incarcerated, that's something that they definitely need to have front and center because those men didn't just jumpstart their lives again. At that point, they were marked. Well, what you guys said, what you guys said, I think speaks less of the justice system in particular, though, and more of the human condition. Like the justice system, you got to remember, is set up and operated by humans. And to Amisha's point, I'm not disputing what she's saying that she doesn't think there's a jury in America that would have acquitted them. You know, they would have found reasonable doubt. I don't know. I don't, I, that's a, that's a big leap, but I don't know. But I'll say this, if that's the case, then it's not the criminal justice system. That's the problem. It's the human element. No, no, you know, that, it's, the human it's the element in, in, in America. Right. Cause America, this is not like the criminal justice system does not like work like this in other countries. It does not. It does not. It is unique to America and America's relationship. Well, it with works race. worse in some places. Well, and, and presumably, no, I think you're talking about places where you're saying it's work, it works I'm, better. I'm talking yeah. about other Western civilized, uh, uh, not civilized, industrialized nations that are, I'm talking about England. I'm talking about Switzerland. Those places. Does it work better like for the other? Or are you speaking how it works for the majorities in I, those places? I'm saying how it works better for everybody. The system does not. We are unique in America in terms of how many people we lock up. Even those other places where you say it works worse, like we have more people in prison than Russia. We got more people in prison than China, and we have a lot less people. So that's unique to America. So I don't think it's just the human condition. It's also the human condition within the United States of America. Well, we also made it into a business. Most countries don't have uh, Correct. for-profit that's another thing private too. prisons. But that's a whole other topic. What I think... Um, but that talks about the dehumanization... It's, it's dehumanizing people and using them as numbers. Same thing. Yeah. The whole series, when I was watching it, really showed me was there's no escaping it. Some people look at us as animals, period. They don't have to not think that we should be equal. They don't ever want to see us equal. And they don't mind that these things happens to our kids. Yeah, that's correct. Because I thought the same thing you did, Rob. It's been a lot of times. I'm just lucky I wasn't hanging out with the wrong knucklehead at the wrong time because yep. I could have been one of those kids. And like you said, I'd have been a 14-year-old scared kid. Uh, because at the end of the day, we have groupthink. You have race that adds into groupthink in America. That's why I say I think, you know, it's yes, there are races and differences in different countries, but the countries don't have built-in systems that say police are allowed to lie. They don't, we don't have systems that say prosecutors have total discretion to do whatever they want. Well, no, and, and just they, not democratic countries. Yeah, demo, <laughs> like, yes, democratic. That's, that's one of the that, features. Of, that, that's um, what's even more ironic. And it, you, you're, you're absolutely right. Not democratic countries. We, we, we consider ourselves the founder of, of, cur of the current democracy and republic, yet we have these principles that are at tension with this. This is not how a free society, one that values democracy, should operate. We shouldn't have rules in place, systems in place that allow groupthink 
uh, and the worst of us to take over. But that's the systems that we have in place in this country. And that's and, and, and it allows situations where you have Corey Wise, who is when you think about his situation. And I want to move to criminal justice system, but I want to talk one more time about the, the dehumanization, because I think it's so important. You look at him being thrown into an adult prison. You look at the violations he went through. Obviously, he was raped. Obviously, he was beat up. All those things happened to him. And you had officers, you had people in the system, not only looking the other way, encouraging it, empowering it, and, and being sadistic. We have a system that, that, that just throws, that say we can throw people away because they've been found guilty of a crime and we can just devalue their humanity. That is a, that is a, that is a huge problem. That but is, see, that, that, that I got to push back, man. I got to push back. That's not the system. That, those are people. Those are bad people that do that. You have, it also showed a, a guard that wasn't here for that. That's like saying segregation is not that. I mean, segregation is system. But so, so then what, what about it is why do we end up with so many bad people in high places? Like that to me is the question more than anything. The system, it, like you guys seem to want to take the responsibility away from the people doing bad no, stuff. No, the people doing the bad stuff need to have that responsibility. But I think that so do some of the people who laugh at this when they see it outside the context of kids. When you hear about somebody who's abused someone and they go to jail, then it's, oh, you know, that they're going to get their treatment in jail. When they say that, they're not talking about the sentence. They're talking about the guys in jail who are about to beat their tails. They're talking about the experience they're going to get in terms of the jail rape, in terms of these extreme levels of abuse in group situations in prison. I think everyone knows what happens in prisons. What, hap what happens outside of it is that humanity, and again, for somebody who works in criminal justice reform, humanity um, does not really care. In many cases, folks believe that you are deserving once you get to prison of whatever happens to you in prison. But my point is that that the point, the finger at those people, look, there are fair minded. People. I also point the finger at the prison systems themselves. Uh, I do too. I do too, because but that's set up and run by people. But yes, but you have, but look, look, you have systems in place that encourage mass incarceration. And in order, people are going to, okay. you, you're going to have human nature. People are, you know, there was a, there was an experiment, not to get too far down this, there was this, the Stanford experiment. It was, it was notorious that where they, they, they set up the, they set up a kind of a mock situation where they had people, someone be prison guards and, and, and other folks be, became prisoners. They had to shut it down because people, the, the, the guards were, were acting sadistic and the prisoners end up being submissive. So this is human nature too, that takes over, but this is why it's important to have the rule of law and have rules that don't encourage and incentivize mass incarceration. We have systems in place that encourage what happens to people. That's, I agree with you on no, that. No, that's I all I'm saying. And, and so unless we fix those systems, human nature, those people need to be held accountable, but they can't, we literally can't hold some people. You can't right now hold prosecutors accountable. Speak, switching to criminal justice. You cannot, we cannot hold Linda Fairstein accountable. Even if we can all the way prove she knew these boys didn't do it. She went forward. She fought to make it happen, buried their lives, caused them all type of pain. She cannot be held personally accountable because our law says she cannot be held personally accountable. Right now, we have laws that say police can lie to you. It is in our Supreme Court. They can lie. They can tell things like you're going to go home now. We have everybody else that has already confessed to this crime. We have laws in place in America that say that is okay. We have laws that basically have gotten rid of the Fourth Amendment. So there are that where you can do unreasonable search and seizures and pull people over. So there are things you're encouraging abuse of power by not having systems in place to protect people, which is the point of the rule of law. I'm saying our rule of law, our rules aren't working, are not, are not in place like they should be. And let's talk about that. It's, it's one of the, and I want to hear your, your points on these things. You know, when we talk about Supreme Court 
justices in the picks. Usually it comes down to who's pro-choice and who, who, who is, who is, who is, who is pro-life, how some sides say it. You know, I, I say it's about protecting a woman's right to choose, but however you say that, that's pro-choice and anti-choice. Right, right, right. That, exactly. It, it, however you choose to, to, to frame that, that's your point of view. That's not really my point. My point is that's all it comes down to. I think we need to have a broader conversation about judges. We need to know their views on criminal justice reform. We need to know their views on the Fourth Amendment. We need to know the candidates that we're going to interview for office in this, from Senate, from president. That needs to be into the, uh, added into the discussion because usually it's not. And I, think, I, I do think this, there are some things you can do to fix systems. You're never going to change human nature. But as Dr. Martin Luther King said, look, I can't prevent you from hating me, but I can put a law in place that it makes it harder for you to lynch me. That's all I'm saying. I mean, the most important level those reforms are going to happen at is at the state. At the end of the day, we need to have more, um, more, more prosecutors who actually understand the role that they are utilizing race in when they're making their decisions, because you know studies show that they do. They are often overzealous when it comes to um, African-Americans and Latinos. Um, we already know that their main job is to close these cases. So in many cases, they are pushing as hard as they can to get as many as they can wrapped up as quickly as possible um, to just to get them off the docket. But I, I will push back on in terms of there not being any reforms currently, because what we're seeing right now. Is I didn't mean to say that. I've said there's not been enough reforms to really have a total systemic effect that we need in order to change some of these things. That's what I mean. The prosecutorial trans, um, the, 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 um, the bills right now that are coming out at the state level, in large part, are transparency bills. Those bills will allow for prosecutors to now be held accountable for the race, the gender, all of the, all of the things that we already know are leaning more heavily on the Black or Latino side in how they prosecute cases, how much time those folks get, and how long they're actually, you know, where they're policing the most and what those actually look like. I think that, you know, Pulling back the veil on that is going to force prosecutors to make different decisions. But you, but you know, but just so, just to push back on that point a little bit, there's been a case litigated, right, all the way to Supreme Court that says essentially prosecutors are allowed to discriminate race. You can't look back at it and use that against them. You know, so we... we, we well, but the, the objective there, though, is to, if you shine a light on something, people do one way that you can motivate people to do or not to do crazy stuff or to, to not do crazy stuff or to be more I agree. Uh, socially uh, acceptable, you know, in terms of their behavior is by exposing antisocial behavior. Which is, gr- which is, which and, is great, which you should do. And so I'll, shining I'll a light a, on that's helpful. And that's kind of, the, that, that's where I was trying to go with this thing is okay. that we have to figure out a way to influence the way people are acting you, it doesn't matter what system you set up, you know, what, what set of rules and norms you set up. If you have human beings implementing it, they're going to find ways to have their, their human nature come out in, in, in the negative, particularly right. if you're dealing with negative people. people but the that, goal is to make that harder. That's the, that's all I'm saying. To, to make it harder, but it also gets covered up, you know? And so again, sure. we want to find ways. I think we need to find ways to influence um, the, the way people act, ways no, we know how pe- how people think, and and one thing you mentioned the Supreme Court, the what is it? I think it's the Nieves v. Bartlett case, which just was ruled on this past month, um, where basically the court made it harder to sue police officers Correct. for violating your civil yes. or for, excuse me, your constitutional rights. That, that's one and, case. There's many cases but, before that. Yes, but that's no, well, that one is the most recent. That's the most but recent. But one thing to note about that, because you had mentioned as far as how we're appointing Supreme Court justices, that was a mixed decision. That wasn't a conservatives on one side yep. and, and liberal judges on the other. That was mixed up and all like that was kind of a just 
which is what my point to that we got to talk more about this instead we usually don't get to these issues that's the point i was trying to make. but yeah it, it's not an issue though that, that is a party line issue because some of that goes to you don't they, they, they people who may be well-meaning and say i don't want to make it so police officers are getting sued all the time I, I, which probably I, in the abstract would not be a great thing um but again we have to figure out ways to 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 disencourage some of the negative behaviors that humans are known to, I, I to, to bring agree. out. The best way to, I think still the best way to do that is have laws for accountability though. Right. I mean, the reason why lynchings don't happen now, why they stop happening is because people started going to jail. It was accountable. And so I think at some point it can't be, you can't, you can't get away with knowingly violating somebody's rights. And people say, Oh, well uh, that's just how people act. Right. We, they, cause this is, there's too much at stake. And I know it's a long way to get there, but I think ultimately there has to be some path to get there. And I'm for everything, whatever we can do. I'm for shining the light. I'm for increasing transparency. I'm for motivating people. But I also know that there has to be some real consequences that, you know, people have to know that if they do these things, they could actually be held. They can, they can lose some of their freedom. I think when that happens, (laughs) when that, when that happens on some level, you know, when, 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 when bankers, just to, just to switch subjects, like if you have folks that know they can get away with stealing trillions of dollars and they're never going to go to jail, of course they're going to do it. But when you, have, when you hold one or two people accountable and they know it's likely that if they do engage in this behavior, that they can be held accountable, some will pull back. Some will still do that, but less will. That's my point. That's Pollyannish, man. It's, it's illegal for the police to kill black people in cold blood, No, man. it's not. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. But every time all, they, they, they just they decline to, to bring charges. All they have to say is that my life, I thought my life was in danger without having any reason behind actually showing that. Changing. Okay, but it, no, that's. that's Unless the, that, you're that black officer who shot that white woman who is doing time. Right. It, it's illegal. And you're saying that they find a loophole. That's kind of my point, man. You're going, they're going to find you make stuff illegal without a way to discourage the behavior. Law in itself is not going to necessarily discourage behavior, particularly from the bad apples. And it also goes back to public sentiment. If the general public believes that you could be a threat, they're not pushing extremely hard in terms of even with video evidence correct, and everything else. Correct. That this right. person did not threaten, even if they're seen so in retreat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's that's so that's actually. The, you're not saying we shouldn't change any laws. We're not saying that, right? I mean, laws. You I'm know. not saying we shouldn't change laws. I'm saying that that piece is not going to do it. You need to find a way to disincentivize it. The changing the laws to make the legal standard more clear, sure. But I'm saying a lot of the stuff that you're saying, it's not that it's it, it's legal and people will do it blatantly. It's that they know how to get away with it. But they and they can get away with it. Yeah, but see. The, 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 the interesting point about that that I know, always note is that it's basically very easy, and I, it, this ties into what I was saying before, it's very easy to get, to get people to believe bad things about black folks. So if yes. somebody says, anybody says, it could be a seven foot five, 350 pound solid rock of a man, say, yeah, I was afraid of that little five foot three black guy. No, people will believe it, you know, because it's like it's easy to yeah. get people to believe that you're afraid of a black guy. But it's really difficult in the in that Minnesota case. The prosecutor expressly said, what's what's so frightening about blonde hair and a pink shirt? That was part of the prosecution's case. Which like, is there, there's no way this guy could be afraid because nobody's afraid of blonde. But on the other hand, if somebody if the guy says he's afraid or if somebody says they're afraid of a black person, it's like, oh, it. yeah, I get that. Because that's, what you're saying is like, you, you still got you still got juries that place and things like that. So they're yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying, that the, the laws in itself isn't going to do it. The law in itself is not going to do it. us don't sit on. So if I'm like resting my life on the hands of people who have shown time and time again to see you as guilty, irrespective to all evidence, I'm going to go ahead and not. <laughs> 
That's all I'm saying, though, is that the law is not going to get it done by itself. The laws are arguably there now, but they're just disregarded and they're able to get around them so easily That's because true. of the human part. Because of the human part and because we have to do, but I, I, it's not going to get it done exclusively, but I do think it's a big part of the system. I mean, we could, in terms of incentivizing how people get locked up, money getting tied behind it, funding goes to locking people up. I mean, all these things, they play into it, right? I mean, because money money, plays into the criminal justice system. So those are laws. Those are things that are, we are incentivizing the behavior right now is what I'm saying. There's no- There's still a mind-changing game that we correct. have to Which continue with. We got to start with because we can't get them to change the law. That's, that's very real. I have personally seen three-year-old black preschoolers get arrested because a teacher says she felt threatened by a three-year-old wow. little black boy. So yep. at the end of the day, when you have to go and stand before Congress and talk about why this is done in schools, you know that there's a huge criminal justice reform problem. This kid did not stand as high as my knee, but somehow this teacher says, she felt threatened and he literally had handcuffs on him and was walked out like that's a problem and right. people thought he was okay that's not a normal reaction that that goes to the dehumanization though you know what i mean and that goes back to jimmy's point about this prosecutor in minnesota in that case like you said they they use the comparison thing about it. they use a comparison of human traits to say what's so threatening about blonde in a pink shirt Versus, right? I mean, to me, that was a case of dehumanization. I mean, I don't think they intentionally meant to put, you know, dehumanize, but it's a bit of a Freudian slip. No, no, they meant to humanize. No, that was no, the case in chief. That was intentional. That was intentional. It wasn't the. It wasn't a slip. That no. was the case in chief. That was. It's unreasonable. It was unreasonable for the officer to feel for his life because it was a blonde person with a pink shirt. That was their case, and they won on that. Imagine if they would have said that about Trayvon Martin. Like, hey, what's so What's so frightening about a black guy in a hoodie? People, they were laugh out of the room. Skittles and iced tea. Yeah, no. Well, maybe I'm being. Instead, they made him like he smokes weed. He does this. He's a. They made him a. They made him a thug. They made him an animal, just like they made. Uh, uh, I don't want to call him the Central Five. I'm gonna call him the Fighting Five, just like they made the Fighting Five. They tried to dehumanize them. They dehumanized, you know, uh, Trayvon Martin as soon as they could. They dehumanized all these young black men whenever they find themselves on the other side of the law or they find themselves dead or something, there's some, they cause their problem is always the, which is, which the point you're saying is a well, a one well taken. I think we have to figure out it's how broader. to change. It's broader than just, we change the law. Then we sit back and wait because, for everything because, to change. Because we can't change like, the law until we get people to change their minds. Anyway, this is like, you have to call it what it is though. This is antisocial behavior. What you saw from the police, what you saw from the prosecuting office, what you saw from the press, we don't think of antisocial a lot of times when the target is black men or black women, but that's antisocial. Yeah. That's a crew of people in a room together and you can't play nice with the other people just because of the way they look. That's antisocial behavior. You have to figure out ways to disincentivize antisocial behavior. Part of that is changing the law, but other parts, there's other ways to disincentivize. Part of it is shining a light on it and, and revealing people that are doing that. People, I think, respond to that a lot of times much more than the law when it's out in the open that this person, you think of how crazy it is and people react when you call them a racist. Calling somebody a racist is like worse than being a racist. Even yeah. if they're so, doing racist stuff. Even if yeah. they're doing racist stuff, it's like, oh, how could you? And it's like, <laughs> yo, yo, and so, but that's kind of what I mean. Like that, the, the embarrassment a lot of times can, can affect people more. I, that's than, what I thought, but like we got black men being gunned down on tape now more than we ever have. And it still doesn't seem to be changing because people still see you as big, scary, black, and capable of doing something, even if. How, how, how do I change that? 
I want to know how do we change? How do I, how do I, how do I, when someone doesn't see me as a threat simply because I'm a, please, I like, let's answer that question. I don't know, I, but that, <laughs> that goes back to my whole thing about dehumanization. That's why it's painful because you know that someone's going to look at you. I'm honestly worse than a dog because what did they do when Michael Vick was fighting dogs? The whole country went nuts. I mean, honestly, people care more about dogs than they do about their fellow human being. And so that's, that's why it's painful. I mean, this, this is what we're talking about here is they don't look at us as equal humans, period. I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying certain people that are okay with the system the way it was shown in that, in that five-part series. But you have to say that part, though, because actually I think it's counterproductive if you, take, if you internalize this as if it's everyone. Oh, of course. Because that actually, that, that, some of that causes that self what they're doing to us if you do that. Well, you but know. that's no, it, it, but that also that harms you too, though. It's worse Absolutely. than what they do us because that harms you as well when you walk around carrying that with you that everyone is against you. It's not everyone. Now, it's hard to tell who is and who isn't, um, but that's kind of life, you know, like that, that's hard. It's hard to tell who's with you and who's, who's against you if you're dealing with all black folks. I mean, so that's, but you have to realize though that this isn't something that it, it's probably like you said, oh, you know, people don't look, people look at you as worse, as, as lower than a dog. That's not everyone. That's probably not a majority. Um, but there are people like that. And, you know, they are a problem. They are a threat um, that you have to behave and a, a, a account for. To answer your question, though, Rob, I think part of it is you have to be closer. And I say this because we know that segregation still exists, not necessarily on paper, but it exists in our communities. We don't the majority of black people don't live in communities that don't have anybody that does that is predominated by people who don't look like them. And I think that the more that we are distant in terms of our socialization, who we're hanging out with, where we, where we go to church, all of our like community activities and all these things are only around people who look like us, who speak like us, who some, come from the same communities as us. And it's not solely black people, white people do the exact same thing. But when you have all of these stereotypes that have existed forever, and you're fighting against that, plus the media projections of what we are, there has to be something that redefines us. And I think that the only way that's done is that they actually get to know us on a personal level. And I think that that is something that, you know, both races could do better at. Now, granted, economic situations kind of evade in many cases, you've been able to live in certain communities where they predominate, and I get that. But I do think that in terms of social situations, gatherings and things like that, there has to be a concerted effort. And in many cases, it starts when people are children to where we bring folks together who normally would not be. Because as long as you don't understand people's cultures, you don't understand how they go about their day to day lives, it is very easy for you to out. You don't interact with them as well. You know, you don't have no interaction with them. And so every your whole entire understanding of a entire group of people is based on what you've seen on television or or read in chat rooms right. and things like that. I mean, it's I think that that you're really onto something with that. Um, it doesn't that's not one of the things that's 100 percent, but it definitely allows to pro provide a broader perspective to people as far as the types of people that are out there. Um, some of that, though, is very difficult, you know, just with the makeup of our country. You know, exactly. so much of our country, it's people are you know, if you look at the zip codes in terms of diversity, you can see where certain messages resonate more in zip codes that are very that have yep. very little to no diversity. Correct. And that actually is a me method of controlling people. You know, you know, you can target people who have no interaction. <clears throat> excuse me, with black folks or with, with, um, Hispanics. And you're talking immigration who have little no, to no interaction and they'll be, they, the met your messaging. Can you decide what you want? And it can be almost anything you want. And people will oftentimes believe it because they have no counter messaging from their own life experience. And it's very hard. Look, 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 this is even when you get exposure and I've seen this play out with some of my close personal relationships, even when you get exposure, it is built into our nature to be 
discriminatory towards each other. We're tribal by nature. And it takes a lot of work to get outside of that. And particularly in America, America is unique in this in terms of how the focus on race in America, everybody has tribalism in all their, in, in each one of their countries. And I'm talking about democracies, just to be clear, but it's unique to us. And I think we haven't dealt with that original sin and we're still repeating the sin as Tunde says often that we're repeating it now with how we're dealing with uh, migrant kids. We're still repeating it with African-Americans, with, with people of color, we're repeating the pattern of discriminating and treating those who are different from the majority, those who haven't maybe had as many opportunities, we're demonizing them. And it's been inherent in part of who we are as Americans. And as I get ready to close, I think about a line that Deval Patrick said, which we haven't taped this show, we haven't aired this show yet, but we had Deval Patrick, uh, who is the only the second person to ever be elected uh, of color uh, as a governor in, in the United States. He talked about what America means and and he said, look, you know, America is both a place of, of fear, of tribalism, and it's also a place of hope, aspiration, and coming together. Those are both Americans. American, they're, they're both the American way, but only one is patriotic. The patriotic way is for us to come together, to work together, work through our differences, and figure out a way to move forward from there. That is when America has always been at its best. And that's where we're going to have to figure out a way to get there, because if we can get there, we can change the conversation. We can change the outcomes change the laws if necessary and move forward. And I think that's what you were getting at James. And it's been done. It's been been done. Remember when the Irish came, they were the other where they were one of the others. The Irish were one of the others. When the Italians came, they were one of the others. And there were decades of that. Now, there's differences, obviously, um, in terms of it's not an apples to apples comparison. But there's similarities. But there are similarities. Yeah, it's not something we should disregard entirely also. Um, Now, the only problem with that, though, I would always point out that it's easy to consolidate when you're still pointing to another other who may be more different. So maybe Americans would be able to, to come all together if like Martians showed up. And like, (laughs) we may be brown, but we're not Martian. And you could work out, but I don't know. My joke has been that ever since 9-11, we got a little bit of a break, you know, because the country was distracted by a new other, which was, you know, the Middle East and the Arabs. So you're right. There's well, they're, always they're coming um, back for us, though. And, and <laughs> no, I'm leaves. just saying, yeah, if this is better, man, I'd, I'd hate to see what would happen. Yeah, I'm about to say. <laughs> now, but we do as a country have a history of, um, you know, that otherism. And I think you're right. If you look back from 100 years ago, one of the good movies about that was actually Gangs of New York where it talked about the natives versus, you know, he, he felt that he was a native born American, the Daniel Day Lewis character versus someone like um, Leonardo DiCaprio, who I think was Irish or Scottish or something like that. And um, I think the difference though, which has been over the last century is that those groups have been able, even the Jews for in a certain extent are able to assimilate just because at least on the surface, until you ask somebody or talk to them, or hear their last name, if it's an Irish or Italian last name, you don't really know where they're from, where when someone has dark skin, they can immediately be identified and moved to a different yep. category. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's it. But we look, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. Stay woke if you want to stay free. It requires us to make sure that we're not allowing ourselves to be divided by outside forces. All of this is done for a reason. The system's in place in order to make sure a few can benefit at the expense of the many. I mean, mass incarceration, slavery, all this stuff is used in order to make sure a few people make a lot more money and the rest of us are fighting over crumbs. That's what this comes down to. And if, and as long as we understand that that's what's going on, we can overcome this. That's how we change mindsets to get people to understand 
we have a common struggle. Our goal is to make sure we can all advance and that a few aren't holding back many opportunities from the rest of us. That's, a, that's what I say. That's the point of disruption. Let's all hey, Rob, I, I, I have to, to bring up, that brings back one of your great lines on this podcast when Tunde was, was talking about that, that you know, it was, it's kind of like slavery, but, you know, there was a more of a financial element and you, and you jumped in that's saying that's that. what slavery is. That's, <laughs> what, <laughs> that's, that's the no, point. That was a good one. People have to think about that. You know, racism is a social construct created for the simple purpose to help some people make some money and divide the lower and the middle classes against each other. That's its only divide purpose. Divide the masses, yep. That's Keep it. the and masses we, at each other's throat. And once people understand that they're being manipulated that way, once we can expose them, we can change all these things, which I think is your is the point you were trying to make earlier, and I agree with that, because no law is going to be changed, no law is going to be effective if we can't change the mindset of the people in this country that the laws need to be changed and the reasons why they have to be changed. But that's the reason why we had this show. I want to thank you all for coming on again. This was a great discussion, and I can't wait to our next discussion. We'll see you next time.